This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined as always by George Smith. George, how are you doing? I'm not bad, mate. How's things with yourself? Yes, all good, thank you. Uh, nice double weekend off with the uh, the football winding to a close. Enjoyed watching the League One uh, playoff final yesterday. Congratulations to Sunderland. We'll be covering them on the pod, which is exciting, isn't it? Looking forward to, to having them back in the Championship after a four-year hiatus from, from the second tier. As always, a reminder to make sure you subscribe to this podcast feed, which you can find on all your usual platforms, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. And on today's podcast, we'll be previewing the most expensive match in English football as Huddersfield Town face Nottingham Forest in the Championship playoff final. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. To get some expert insight into both camps ahead of the final, I'm delighted to say we're joined by Brady from the Andy Takes That Chance podcast. Brady, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks, Elliot. How are you? Yes, all good, thanks, mate. And I'm delighted to say we're also joined by Rich from the 1865 Nottingham Forest podcast. Rich, how are you? Yeah, I'm right. Still a bit exhausted from last Tuesday, but there you go. I think we all are, and me and me and George certainly are, and we didn't have any skin in the game, so um, <laughs> absolutely understand that feeling. I think the best place to start with this this podcast because there's so much to get through, so much uh, great stuff to talk about is probably a little bit on those semi-finals from last week. We obviously did a podcast reacting to that earlier in the week, but I think it's good to get your insight certainly on how they've played out. So we'll start with Huddersfield and go in chronological order, Brady. Two very tight first legs. Um, Luton had the best of both first halves, I would have said, although Huddersfield, of course, scored early on at Kenilworth Road. I think it's fair to say Luton had the best of that first half and then probably the same at, at the John Smiths where Lee Nichols had to pull off a, a few really good saves. But in both games, Huddersfield showed their resilience. They, they stood in that defensive um, character that was almost not there last season that we've spoken about many times across the season. And then you obviously had Sorber Thomas coming off the bench, huge impact, and Jordan Rose grabbing the winner. What was it like in terms of from a fan's perspective, the emotion of the game, and, and how did you think it played out? I um, Well, to be honest, I, you're spot on there. I thought Luton were the better team for quite a lot of the game. Um, I was I, I always go with my stepdad, and um, I just remember our half-time analysis being us repeating the phrase over and over again, well, they can't be as bad as they were in the first half. So um, I think that kind of summed it up. Luton, you know, I think their press was, was really good, stopped us playing how we how we wanted to um and it, we've funny enough we've talked about it a lot this season but I think why this season has been so, so successful is because we're kind of written off or or with the underdogs coming into games whereas I think because we got the draw at Kenilworth Road um it kind of made us favorites in a lot of people's eyes and I don't think we handled the pressure pressure well and Luton you know the reason they're up there is because they're a really tough side and I think they showed that um you know and wouldn't allow us to play and I think it was just a combination of what it's been like for us a lot this season, which is us hanging in there. You know, Nichols having to make good saves. That's why he's in the championship team of the season. And um, yeah, just, you know, Sorber Thomas's set-piece delivery. It's been so crucial to us this season. And I felt like the game was heading to extra time. But when you've got someone who can put a ball on the plate like that, you know, you're going to get goals. And um, Sorber transformed that that game. You know, he came on, I think it was the first five minutes, Cal Smith goes straight into the back of him. Uh, and he just cut it. They were tired defenders and they were a bit scared by him. And he's just just kind of sums up his season. He's been so crucial to us. And um, it was just, it was weird because I, I don't think, I don't think we really deserved it. Um, if I'm honest, you know, I think extra time and, you know, Luton deserved that. So I can see why they're absolutely gutted and, you know, full credit to Luton. They gave us a hell of a game. But yeah, we just got over the line and like that's the story of our season really. Yeah, I thought with Sober Thomas coming on, I think it changed the game because with the starting eleven you'd got on the pitch at the minute, everyone really wanted the ball to feet, didn't they? They didn't have anyone that could really stretch defence. And when you put someone on with Thomas's pace, the ability to carry the ball as well, I think as you say, the Luton defence as they got tar- as they got tired, having you know pressed up the pitch quite high, the press was really effective. When you've got someone that can run in the opposite way, I think. Yes, the set piece was really good and obviously won you the game, but it was actually his impact just in open play, I thought, that really changed the momentum again because suddenly Luton had got a drop five yards. They got someone who absolutely rapid who could run in behind them and I thought that was the key to getting Huddersfield up the pitch. And then, of course, when you've got that quality from set pieces and Jordan Rose stealing in. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think you're spot on there. And I think, um, again, it was kind of Luton. I think the games both, you, you touched on it there, Luton were great in the first half of both games. And then I think because we're such a thick team, you know, Corbran has improved the fitness of all the players. Um, you know, we listen to interviews, they they all say that. Tom Lee says it's the fittest he's ever been in, what is he, 30, 31? Um, I think that kind of counts for a lot as well. Like you say, Sorba comes on, he stretches the defence, but... You know, we start getting on the ball more. I think Luton realised, right, we just need to foul Luis O'Brien as soon as he turns on the halfway line. You know, I think maybe me just uh, being a bit biased, but I think uh, Luton players were certainly, I thought Campbell was a bit lucky not to get second yellow, um, you know, because he uh, went at O'Brien quite a few times. And yeah, just made the difference. And I think, um, you know, Sorba's going to have, you know, at least a week now to get fit and it'll be really crucial, I think. Especially when Ward went down injured, you know, he was our top scorer. I was really concerned. But Rhodes just, again, like, you know, I know we love a narrative in football, but I was so pleased for him because, again, you hear it a lot, but nicest man in football, you know, everyone likes him. You look at his spells where he didn't work out at Borough, for example, and Borough fans still love him. And I just felt really pleased for him because he has played second fiddle to Ward. And to be honest, I think he also changed the game. You know, Ward was having one of those where the ball couldn't, like kept bouncing off him, but Rhodes actually held up the ball at times and relieved pressure. And yeah, just just delighted for him. Um, yeah, and just ho- like I say, hopefully we can't play as bad as we did in that first half in, in the final. And George, just to just to bring you on this, I know we touched a little bit on it on the pod on Thursday, but do you think, as Brady said, Luton had very large spells in the game where they were on top? Do you think that? The, the fact that Huddersfield probably got a little bit more experience at the competing at the, the top end when you think of like Tom Lees, uh, Jordan Rose, people who've won promotion or certainly been in and around the top end of the championship and playoff battles before. Do you think that was the crucial difference in why Huddersfield could take their chance and Luton perhaps didn't make the most of their spells of, of pressure? I certainly think so. Obviously, obviously, when you've got players like Jordan Rhodes and, and Tom Lees in your team, it's, it's very useful to have that experience and that knowledge and that know-how. And obviously... People say that obviously playoff games they're they're one off occasions, but the experience cannot be underestimated for games like that. If you've got that within your ranks, obviously Tom Lee's experienced it a couple of times with Sheffield Wednesday. Jordan Rose did it with Huddersfield in twenty twelve, did it with Sheffield Wednesday against Huddersfield in twenty seventeen. So they're players that know know the occasion, how to play the occasions. But for Huddersfield overall, I mean they they were under the cosh at times in that in that in that tie, particularly in the first half of the second leg. But they found a way. They were resilient. They were strong. They stood firm. And you've got to give credit to Luton for that because they came to the John Smiths with the tie evenly balanced. And like Brady said, there was probably the sense the pressure was more on Huddersfield, wasn't it? Because they were the home team. They finished third. They were expected to get over the line and. They did, literally by the skin of their teeth, get over the line. Obviously, they stepped it up in the second half. But I think, obviously, when Carlos Corbran could call upon somebody like Jordan Rhodes to come off the bench, he's not, he's not been the player he was several years ago. We all know that. But there's still a player in there that is capable of doing something at the vital moment. And he did exactly what his manager called upon him to do. And Sorba Thomas, obviously, was the, the architect of it. And Jordan Rhodes does what Jordan Rhodes does and rolled back the years. Yeah, and if that was uh, if that was one to whet the appetite, bloody hell, uh, Tuesday night... Nottingham Forest. Wow, what a game that was, Rich. I, I can only imagine the, the sort of heart palpitations you had going through that game because we had them as neutrals. What what a what an occasion at the city ground. Bryce Bryce Samba with a, a performance for the ages. Um just brilliant. How how was that evening for you just as a supporter first and foremost? Right. So the thing that you need to know is that for Forest fans who are sort of over over about thirty five maybe over 30 is that there's ptsd there so you may remember forest playing in a classic playoff semi-final 19 years ago when paul hart's young team playing with you know high fullbacks and playing with a front three playing football the way it should have been done with a strong philosophy and then they went to sheffield united and uh, it was a classic encounter and of course forest lost that so there's a lot of parallels and so the ptsd was strong and on uh, on tuesday night i i was at the match with my brother and it, and he i think it was about 80 minutes or maybe early in extra time and he just kind of zipped up his top put his hood on and just hunched there um so it was tense it was really tense and Obviously, you've just been talking about experience um, with regard to Huddersfield and, and and Brady 
you know, you and I had discussed about how players like Hogg and Rhodes, they're probably the only two players who've got that sort of similar kind of experience. But against, in our recent matches against Sheffield United on Tuesday and against Bournemouth just before the end of the season, in matches where those things were, you could tell that the opposition had that Premier League, pardon me, that you could tell that the opposition had that Premier League experience, that that kind of ability to kind of read a situation. You could tell that the managers had managed in the Premier League and they did that. So the hecking bottom thing where he kind of shoved the ball into Jed Spence, yeah, he probably should have got a red card for it. But I understand, you know, there's there's all kinds of arguments there. But what it also did is it took the sting out of the match for Sheffield United. And so those bits of experience are really crucial. Now, this is why, actually, with the exception of Rhodes and Hogg, maybe, you know, the final is going to be quite evenly matched in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, and, and so how did I feel on Tuesday? Frankly, the only answer I can give is exhausted. I, I don't blame you. We did as well, watching at home on the TV. It was a fantastic atmosphere. As I say, Bryce Samba, what, what a performance. That save from Illumin and Jai, um, I, I thought... That was in. I don't think Njai could have done anything more, to be honest. I think he gets a good contact on it. What a save that is. And going into the shootout with the the reaction from the crowd when he made that first save, he made obviously a really good save very early on from Njai as well. Um, but you just felt like it was almost like a force of nature that he was going to be the hero in that shootout. It was almost written, the script was written, which obviously is a bit of a cliche for football in terms, but what a performance that was. Yeah, it was brilliant. And of course, let's not forget that Samba lost his place. He got himself a stupid red card earlier in the season against Stoke. He lost his place for three games and then couldn't get back into the team for for another four games after that because Ethan Horvath came in and did a really good job. And it's only because Horvath went away on international duty and and flew back, I think, the morning of the Luton game um, over the Easter weekend that Samba got his place back in the team. So... It's one of those things. He's one of those players because he's such a big character. Sometimes you need that kind of little knockback to kind of bring you back down to earth. And Samba has been, with the exception of the goal we conceded at Bramall Lane in stoppage time on Saturday. Apart from that, he's been more or less exemplary, both in terms of his goalkeeping, but his presence as well. And the way he's geeing up with with his defenders probably helps as well when you've got a player like Steve Cook in front of him, who... Again, we're talking about big game experience. So Cookie has been there and done it. And that's been, what a signing that's been as well for Forrest. So it reminds me a lot, just on Steve Cook, it reminds me a lot of Ryan Bennett coming into Swansea and where that experienced head comes in into the middle of the back three with young players around him. Obviously, I know McKenna and Worrell aren't young players, but compared to Cook, for example, and the experience. And he got Gwehi, obviously, on one side, uh, Cabango often on the other. And I see a lot of similarities between those two signings. Gone under the radar, but massive impact especially in that back three system it really suits them yeah and of course who's the manager who brought Ryan Bennett to, to Swansea to play alongside two young centre halves well there you go so um, it's one of those things whereby um, it was a very deliberate signing and and Tobias Figueredo has been a really good servant for Forrest for four years but uh, you can't deny that Cook's been an upgrade and it's also like you say it's brought the best out of Worrell and McKenna who yeah they're, they're both 25 but and they've both played in big games north of the border. But in terms of that know-how of how to really squeeze the maximum defensively, um, and and he's just, Cook's presence has been, been amazing. The other thing I do want to do is just shout, you mentioned about the atmosphere in the in the game on, um, on Tuesday. In over 30 years of going to the city ground, I've never heard it be so noisy, so constantly, um, for the for the entire 120 minutes there's just a little lull in the first part of extra time when frankly the players look knackered the managers look knackered and the fans in both ends of the ground were like Hoof. but then Ryan Yates did say in his post-match interview um 117 minutes we'd been under the cosh we'd just conceded that chance to enjoy and 117 minutes and the fans just turned up the volume and we were like we got, we're gonna do this yeah, it's going to be some atmosphere at Wembley as well with, with two packed out ends. Just from on that Forest performance, obviously it's, we, we did see Sheffield United certainly take the, the the game by the scruff of the net in the second half. Do you think that was a bit of mental fatigue in terms of the the obviously the run they've been on, physical potentially as well, and the weight of expectation? And Brady, I'm interested to get your thoughts in a second as well on this. Do, do you think that offers a little bit of encouragement potentially for this field because it's the first time 
certainly since the Cardiff defeat, perhaps, that we've really seen Forest be second best for, for over a half of football, really. Um, yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, it does offer um, encouragement. I think, um, you know, Forest, that first leg, they blew Sheffield United away. And to be honest, the tie should have been done and dusted, um, you know, in, in the first leg. And it did give me a bit of confidence. I think, um, you know, obviously we had our own semi-final to deal with, but you can't help but look at what's happening around you. And I, I did think, you know, Sheffield United are a good team. That You know, I know they've been a bit up and down this season and not really quite clicked, but they have the quality to hurt people. And I think, um, you know, that does offer some encouragement. I think Forest, you know, they've been amazing this season. Rich talked about the support, the Forest support, you know, we were talking about FA Cup games between me and Rich and like, you know, it's been amazing for Forest. But again, I think it's just, it's funny. It doesn't matter how professional you are, how many games you've played. It's really interesting to me to see how players, the like, occasion does get to them and nerves creep in. I think the more's kind of on the line and, you know, it's the same for us against Luton on Monday. And I think it was, it was the same for Forest, you know, um, Sheffield United, yeah, they were they were great. I mean, they were they were a good team, and you know, it does offer some encouragement. But um, again, I think we'll see at Wembley. But um, you know, disappointed for you guys, but I don't think it's going to be a classic. It's going to be really cagey, I think. And um, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, on that topic, I would also say that um, yeah, so Forest have had a lot of one-off big games, and the the playoff final is is a cup match isn't it essentially um you even get to go up the steps and, and lift a trophy at the end of it so it's that classic thing of it's the best way to get promoted and it's the worst way to to, to fall at the final hurdle but Forrest had that cup run and we beat Arsenal it was only one nil but Forrest were the better team we beat Leicester absolutely tonked them and then we played Huddersfield and you took an early lead and Forrest rose to the occasion then and even against Liverpool um you know it's one of those whereby, to quote the old cliche, fine margins and, and Forrest on another day could have got a result and Liverpool had to bring on their big guns off the bench to to, to see that out. So I'm hoping that that shows a kind of a fearlessness amongst the Reds, especially as we've got a core of, we've got lone players who are wanting to put themselves in the shop window. I suspect Jed Spence has got himself a nice fat contract at a, at a decent club lined up for next year. So unfortunately, we probably won't be seeing him in a red shirt at the city ground anymore. But then we've also got this core of, of Forest supporters who've come up through the academy in Worrell, Yates and Johnson, um, Alex Mighton coming off the bench, plays, players like that. And you're just thinking this means a lot to them. So I know that can swing either way in terms of can the occasion get to them, but it's not the occasion that we're fearful of. Actually, it's tactical battles. Interesting, George. Do you think if it was a you know if it does set up to be this this sort of cup final field, do you think that benefits Forest or, or Huddersfield more? I think based on what we've seen this season, I think you've got a fancy Forest in that in that scenario. Obviously, like Richard said, obviously they went toe to toe with Liverpool and pushed them all the way. They beat Arsenal. They smashed Leicester. So they've experienced those big games, but at the same time. Huddersfield also rose to the occasion in the games with Luton and got the job done over two legs in what was essentially a two-leg cup final. So both sides have got every right to feel confident. Both have more than earned the right to be in this situation. And unfortunately for one of them, there isn't going to be the, the happiest of endings. But I just I just look at it and I think as neutrals, we're going to be in for a really, really interesting game. I think it could go either way. As I've said, both sides, realistically, who, who would have given them a chance at the start of the season of being in this position with one game of the season left? I mean, it's quite unbelievable, really, because for Huddersfield, we didn't expect. I expected improvement on last season. <laughs> no way in a million years did anybody expect this. For Forrest, obviously, after eight, eight or nine games with the way they started the season, nobody expected them to finish where they did. So I think it's got the makings of hopefully being a decent game, but I do think at the same time it could be quite close. I don't think there'd be much to separate them. Obviously, 2-1 in the Cup, 1-0 Huddersfield at the City Ground of the League and 2-0 to Forest at the John Smith. So, all three games this season have been relatively close and relatively tight. So, I don't think we're going to see anything of a 4-5-0 walkover from either side. I think it's got the potential, you never know, to go all the way to penalties. Obviously, in that situation, Huddersfield have got the experience of that one, but Forest have got experience in a, a penalty-saving supreme in Bryce Samba. So, I'm just hoping it proves to be a really good one. And being honest, at the minute... 
I think it could genuinely go either way. At the end of the day, I think it is a case of who turns up and who wants it most because I think we saw from Forrest in the first half against Sheffield United that, to me, they looked nervous on Tuesday night. They did look nervous by the occasion, but the confidence they will have gained from that shootout victory will be enormous. For Huddersfield, they'll be on such a high, obviously, being in this situation. And I think, to be honest with you, I think looking at it, I think a lot of people will probably judge Huddersfield maybe as the underdogs going into this game. And that is a tag that I think Huddersfield have lived up to a hell of a lot in the past. And that, that could spur them on because I think, as well as obviously individual talent is going to be important, I think character and courage is also going to play a part in a game like this. So it looks like being a good one, but I wouldn't like to call it. I really wouldn't. That's a lovely segue, George. It's almost as if I told you to, to start talking about the league fixtures earlier in the campaign. Because as you say, quite interesting that obviously Forrest got their first league win of the season at Huddersfield under Stephen Reid at the time, won 2-0 in September. Of course, uh, that was repaid with a 1-0 win for Huddersfield at the City Ground in December. And I'm quite happy to write off the FA Cup game a little bit that was 2-1 in Forrest's favour because there was a lot of changes on both teams, particularly Huddersfield, if memory serves me right. Uh, I think they changed pretty much the whole team. But do you think, come to you first, Rich, do you think that the games earlier in the season, do they have any impact in this or is it just tunnel vision this game and and the sort of the previous fixtures there's too much context around them and too much history uh, too much time that's passed for those to really um have any impact i think there's something to be gained from those matches in terms of the managers will both have they'll do their research won't they and those matches will give them an idea about the kinds of things that that their team and the opposition team in terms of strengths and weaknesses what what can they offer i think What's crucial in that is that uh, we we went to Huddersfield and and Brady and I discussed earlier in the season. We kind kind of did one over on them. It was a bit of a surprise. Hewton had just gone. Pressure lifted off the players. Stephen Reid took over with like twenty four hours notice. I'm pretty certain, although it'll never be confirmed, that Steve Cooper will have picked that Forest team and told them how to play on that day. And so you could see the kind of the weight being lifted from the Reds players in the home match. Yeah, Huddersfield came and they did a smash and grab, but it was Lee Nichols that was the difference because Forrest had so many efforts and so many good good shots and, and Nichols was the, was the one who kept them in it. So going back to that topic of pressure, if I may, is that uh, what's interesting is that Forrest haven't crumbled in any matches since Steve Cooper's took over. Um, against Sheffield United, sure, we, we lost the match on the night 2-1, but actually, it looked as though there were times that, that if Sheffield United just kept pressing us, that we would we would go under. And we didn't. Against Bournemouth, it took them until the 83rd minute to score from our defensive mistake, even though they were piling relentless pressure on us for, for, for 45 minutes in that second half. So I'm hoping that resilience will be a key thing. And and, and as Brady and I have, have also discussed you know, uh, previously as well, you know, Huddersfield make themselves hard to beat, but Forest are surprisingly hard to beat as well. You know, the goal difference we've got of 33 isn't just in the league, isn't just because we score loads of goals. It's also because we've become better at keeping it fairly tight at the back. Yeah, both teams in terms of, if you look at probably their last 30, 40 games, have probably only got not even a handful of defeats between them, really. Um, Huddersfield, of course, went on that amazing 18 game, was it in the end, uh, run in in all comps to, to stay unbeaten for that, for that fantastic period. Brady, does the 1-0 win in December, albeit against a slightly less resurgent Forest at that point, they not quite hit their peak. Is that a bit of a blueprint on how to approach the final, do you think? Or, again, is it that too long gone? Um, I think it's tricky, you know, like you talked about the league fixtures. I think the 2-0, um, you know, home, home defeat we had to, to Forest. Um, I remember I was chatting to some Forest fans going in the game. They were, obviously, Hewton gone. I think they were saying, like, oh, you're going to put four or five past us and... Um, you know, Forest, they've got great players and they did a number on us. And, um, you know, Forest are no clowns. That they're, they're a great team and they've deserved, you know, where they finished in the league. Um, the 1-0, I think that's kind of, it's been a blueprint for us away at home. You know, certainly, you know, wins against Fulham, um, Sheffield United and Forest away from home proves that we can. The Borough one was a particular one that sticks out in our, our minds as, as a bit of a, a tactical masterclass, really, the way you absorb the pressure after taking a relatively early lead from a set piece and then, that counter-attacking threat. Yeah, I think, uh, and I think that's a really, you know, Corbran, to give him, um, you know, immense credit, that has, that has been a great pl- blueprint that works. And I, th- I think, you know, obviously it's a final, we can talk about all the cliches, but, um, you know, I think the longer 
me and Rich have talked about this, but I think the longer the game goes on and it's nil-nil, I think the more it suits Huddersfield. I think the Borough game you talk about there is a great example. They needed to get a result. We take an early lead and they pile on the pressure and it just works into our hands because, you know, we can absorb it. We've been really hard to break down defensively and, you know, Lee Nichols has pulled off some great saves and he's a time waster and loves to get a yellow card and it just, you know, winds up opposition fans and it takes a sting out of it for us. So, um, and Samba yeah, would never no, do that, by the way. No, no, never. <laughs> I mean, all keepers, but yeah. Um, so yeah, it's. Um, I think it's going to be a really interesting encounter. I think Steve Cooper's done an amazing job. Um, you know, I think Forest have got some amazing players. They're the team I didn't want to get in the playoffs because you know I think we've talked about it. Rich and I've talked about it. You know, it's weird that third and fourth the two most informed teams meet in the final because one of them normally gets knocked out or, you know, an underdog comes through. So I do think it'll be um, a really interesting tactical battle, which I think probably does mean it's actually going to be, you know, maybe not the most interesting game, which Huddersfield do have experience of, uh, you know, making playoff final games incredibly boring as 20. I'll never get that. I'll never get that 120 minutes back ever. Oh, neither will I, mate. But, you know, (laughs) one in the end, that is is one of the worst games. Like, nothing happened after five minutes. Izzy Brown had that chance and then nothing happened. Yeah, pretty awful. It's interesting on the tactical battle and I just want to come on to the sort of the, the starting 11s a little bit because there's a few interesting selection dilemmas in both camps. I think... For both teams, certainly there's a basis of eight or nine players that we know will start. Um, Starting just with with Huddersfield, I think there's probably two or three dilemmas. One, slightly by injury in terms of who starts up front between Ward and Rhodes. I think if Ward is fit, I think he will start, in my my view. And then you've got Pippa or Turton at right wing back, if it is in fact a a back three, which I'd expect it to be given how Forest line up as well. And then it's Sonani or Sober Thomas. And again, I suppose that's slightly in terms of fitness as well but also in terms of does Corbran want that ace up his sleeve does he want to try and get the game to 70 minutes at nil nil if he can and use Thomas off the bench what do you think he'll go with and what and what would you go with Brady in, in those sort of selection dilemmas um so I think you know Ward we we don't know about the injury I think he was someone you know you know what it's like when it gets to the playoff final people become expert detectives you know on social media I think someone pictured him caught him training one of the YouTube videos. Um, I think Ward will start if he's fit. You know, he's... Um, John Rose has been a bit unlucky because actually, if you look at his um, his goal-scoring record, he's not really had that many minutes, but he's had a really impressive record with goals and assists when he has played. Um, but I think Ward will start. He's so key to us getting any joy about this game. You know, he's just to relieve pressure and help with the press. And um, So I think he would start. If not, I think Rhodes has shown that he can, you know... Um, he can make a difference, so I, I wouldn't be happy. I wouldn't mind if Rhodes did start if Ward wasn't fit. I think Thomas has a week to, you know, a week to get fit. Um, I'd expect him to start um, because, again, he's so key to us. And yeah, I, I suppose we'll see. I can imagine him going for Turton instead of Pippa. You're talking about that kind of key battle there. I just think Turton is a bit more defensively minded, um, you know, and fair, I, I have to. Uh, I have to shout out Ali Turton because the first couple of games this season, people were writing him off, thought he was terrible, and he's just been he's been amazing. You know, he's called the Ginger Cafu now because he's just made such a difference and got better as the season's gone on. Um, so I would expect him to start. Um, and yes, yeah, Sonani. Sonani's an interesting one, really. The fan base is kind of split on him. Um, I think he's, you know, the rumored we've got an option to buy, and I think it's four hundred k, and I think it's worth you know, worth buying it. Um, but Definitely. he, yeah, he's either amazing or he just, he's a typical kind of like flair, flair player. You know, he's either has a great game or he has a really bad game. And I think you'll know if he has a great game in the first 15 minutes, you know, looting uh, away is the classic example, gets that great goal. Looks like the, the chance has gone and somehow squeezes it in. Uh, and he can just do that, he, you know, but then also he, he can be anonymous for 60 minutes and get hauled off. So I, I'd expect the front three to be Sonani, you know, Thomas and, and Ward. Um, and yeah, like like you said, the team picks itself. But to be honest with you, Elliot, you know, I think this has been the, the theme throughout the season. Corbran will pick a team and you'll be like, oh, uh, but then they get the result. So you're like, oh, fair enough. You know, and I think that's the, kind of the story of the season. It doesn't really matter who they pick because, you know, touch wood, it seems to have worked out. Yeah, George Sonani's an interesting one. He's someone that 
I've always been impressed with. I don't know if it's because obviously the bulk of me seeing Huddersfield Town is on the, the TV and maybe he turns it on for the cameras a little bit. But 400 grand for me would be a, I, I, that would be a bit of a no-brainer because even if he has a bit of an, an average season next year and they do sign permanent, you could sell him on for, for probably more than 400 grand. I've always thought he adds a little bit more creativity. I, I prefer him when he's playing more centrally than off the right, for example, which I know he's, he has played at times and coming in on that left foot. But someone we've quite liked, isn't he, George? Yeah, he's had a good season. He's done well. I mean, he came in obviously on loan, and he's he's shown real signs of promises. As Brady said, he's a bit of a flair player where you kind of look at him and you think this kid's got something about him. And I mean, I'm just looking at his stats now. He's managed seven goals and five assists. It's not a bad return. It's more than ten direct goal contributions, obviously, and that's a pretty good return for a player that's obviously been coming as a relative unknown. And he stepped in, stepped into the battle, and I think. As I've said to you, Elliot, often throughout this season, Huddersfield strike me as a team that have they've not got many kind of big name star attractions that you look at as top end championship players, aside from probably Lewis O'Brien and Sober Thomas. But they've got a team of battlers and a team of players that want to really work. And Sinani fits into that for me. He is a player that you can see he's prepared to roll his sleeves up when he's up and at it. And he proved that in the first leg at Luton. He had a really good game that night, took his goal really well. And at 400,000, I mean, promotion or not, I think that's something that Huddersfield should look to take up without a doubt because he's only 25. There's definite resale value in that. So I think that's an option that Huddersfield should seriously consider in the summer, whether they're in the Premier League or not, because you can see that there's a player in there and you never know if, say, Huddersfield don't go up another season in the Championship playing week in, week out. If Huddersfield next season invest a little bit in other areas and all of a sudden become one of the genuine favourites for promotion again, he could really come into his own and be like one of the, the key men of the championship, the key creators. So there's a player in there and at 400,000, I mean, he it looks like a pretty uh, pretty obvious steal they should take really, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I would agree on that. In terms of Forrest Rich, I think I would probably say 10 of the starting 11 we know and it's a bit of a toss of a coin between Keenan Davison and Surridge up front. I, I like Surridge a lot. I think... His movement's very underrated, obviously, for someone that's that's quite tall and stocky and a little bit more of a target man. His movement, particularly on the uh, first goal at the city ground, the way he gets in behind Basham down that right channel, really good. And I think he's, he's quite underrated, to be honest. I've quite liked him all season. And then, obviously, he's had his chance with Davis and Grabbing being injured. But Keenan Davis is just a, a monster, isn't he? The, the way, he, the, the pace and the power, I know they're quite cliche words to use, but it just is everything that embodies his game. And, when he came on, he did look like he could really cause Sheffield United problems when he was on the ball. He helped get you up the pitch at times. And when he's going to be up against, you know, a back three of Tom Lee's, probably Hogg sitting in the middle and Saar or Colwell down the left-hand side, having someone like Davies who can occupy people and can, he has that mobility factor as well. If he's fit, surely he would get the nod. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And of course, the question being, how fit is he and how much do you roll a dice, bearing in mind that we know it's the last match of the season, whatever happens. Um, and I completely agree with you. It is, you know, the, the other 10 positions in the team. Steve Cooper has, where possible, operated with a fairly small squad. Um, so you know what the selection is likely to be. We have got a few players who finish a season playing on one leg. So Surridge has been carrying an injury. Yates has got an injury. Colback's got an injury. Um, and and Zinkenagel as well. And you saw against Sheffield United, Zinkenagel, he he was done by 50, 55 minutes. He he, was, he just couldn't go on. Um, so, yeah, but I do agree with you. In terms of starting 11, it's just a question of can Keenan play? Because like you say, he is so strong and he is somebody who's more or less impossible to defend against. He just shakes off defenders. But just as importantly, whereas Sam Surridge offers that real burst of controlled pace and he can get down the channels Keenan has the ability to hold the ball up and we saw that that added a completely different dimension to Forrest's play between January and April when he got crocked and it really made Forrest look like a much more complete team and added a different tactical dimension to the way we play so you'd imagine if he is fit that Keenan will play and then Surridge will revert to his role of being super sub, coming on after about 60 minutes and then adding a fresh burst of pace, getting in the channels um, and, and creating havoc in those positions. Yeah, I think for me, when Davies signed for Forrest in January, I didn't quite realise how mobile he was. I knew he was a bit of a, a, a brute and he could hold off defenders and I knew he got 
um, a turn of pace. But I didn't realise how almost agile he is and how he, could, he just sort of dips and shrugs off people. There was, uh, he scored a goal. I can't remember who it was against. I think it was in the four, four. I think it was the Reading game where they won four 0 against Reading. In fact, and the way he sort of just dipped in of two players and then fin- finessed it into the far corner with his left foot. I didn't really think he got that in his locker until he arrived in January. Was that, was that my ignorance or was that something that Forest fans have been a little bit surprised about? Oh, since yeah, yeah, we've been, we've been really pleasantly surprised um, because you look at his record and you just think, mm, his goal record isn't that great. And I know he's not started many matches for Villa, but then he's been on loan at a couple of championship clubs where he's you know had, had opportunities, not really done that much. That goal against Reading was remarkable because for Forest fans of a certain age, once again, it was like, well, it was very Collymore-esque. He just shrugged the defenders off as if they weren't there. And the one that really epitomises it for me is um, when Forrest went away to Blackburn and Keenan got the ball, basically, I think he was inside his own half and he slalomed through about seven defenders. Um, he actually fell over at one point, picked himself up, still had the ball and then poked it through for Jimmy Garner, who then put in a good finish. And that, I say it just adds something completely different to the way in which Forrest can play in those in those pressurized moments. Rich has literally just taken the words out of my mouth. I was going to say it was that away game at Blackburn Rovers where he first, you know, kind of came into my mind. And I watched that game and I thought this lad's got something about him, and it was that it was that assist for that James Garner goal. And since then, he's just gone on an upward trajectory, hasn't he? He's got better and better and. His strength and his aggression, his ability to carry the ball is just absolutely second to none. And we, and we saw flashes of it, didn't we, in the second leg when he came off the bench against Sheffield United. And that could be a key battle for me in him leading that forward line. But at the same time, I think it would be harsh on Sam Surridge to get dropped because he's done such a good job in the last few weeks. Would you go with Surridge then, George? I think based on the reward of what's happened in recent weeks, I think Surridge deserves the chance to keep his place. But Keenan Davis obviously it's such a such a weapon to bring off the bench. But when you've got the luxury of choosing between either of them, it's obviously going to be a big dilemma for Steve Cooper. I think based on recent weeks, I think Sam Surridge having played such an integral part. I know he didn't score in the semi-finals, but he was obviously so key in the build-up, certainly to the first goal at the City Ground. I think he deserves to keep it purely on merit and as a reward to his hard work because he he has played really really well in the last few weeks. And for me, he's. He's come to my mind as being a player that I thought, not really sure if he's got what it takes to be a top-end championship player. But in the last few weeks, he's really proven it. And his goal against Swansea, of course, one of the three, what a terrific goal that was. And it epitomised what he's all about. So for me, he deserves to keep his place. But Keelan Davis, at the same time, has got every right to be knocking on the door for a start. Brady, who would you feel more confident about being up front from a, from a Huddersfield perspective? Um, I think they're both good forwards. I think Surridge, uh, to be honest, I, I know how well Davis has has played, and I think um, you know that would be a bit more of a battle. But we've played against you know players who can hold up the ball and are strong physically, but also you know offer a bit of quality. And um, I think you know Tom Lee's um, against uh, Adebayo for Luton when he they came you know before the playoffs, he, he dealt with them really well. Um, Surridge, he's a bit of a weird one. For me, he's been great for Forest, but obviously he's not had um, when he's been at Bournemouth and Stoke. He's not really hit the heights, so I'd probably go with him. But then also he was he was great against us in the cup. Um, but admittedly, that was our second team. Um, look, I think Forest have got a lot of good players, and I think for us to get anything out of this game, we're going to have to be on it defensively because um, they can really blow you away when they they're in the rhythm. Yeah, there's a few certainly key battles looking at the the two teams if they do line up as we expect that um, that are going to be crucial in terms of deciding who wins this game. I think one of them's got to be down that right channel between Levi Colwell, if it is him that gets the nod ahead of Naby Sarr, and Brennan Johnson because we saw time and time again from a Forest perspective in that in the certainly in the first leg at Bramall Lane how many times Johnson managed to get in behind Jack Robinson down that channel. And I think it'll be a different battle against Colwell because he's got more pace. He's perhaps more uh, comfortable defending in one-on-one situations out wide, given that obviously he's schooled by Chelsea compared to Jack Robinson, who um, doesn't have those sort of same qualities. That's going to be really important, Brady, in terms of that that pace difference with Colwell against Johnson, as I say, and also the, the comfort, how comfortable he is defending in those wide areas. Because he has been tested at times in those positions and it's something that he's really impressed in. 
Yeah, and he, I think Colwell, um, you know, got a lot of plaudits on uh, for the game against Luton on Monday, and um, I think he actually started quite nervous, but then grew into it, and I think that just kind of shows you how he's been phenomenal, uh, you know, amazing this season, and you know, I think the only way we'd have a chance of keeping him is if we were successful on Sunday in the final. He's, he's a hell of a player. He's going to go on to play for England, no doubt about that. Um, yeah, he'll be really, he'll be he'll be up against it. You know, Johnson is an incredible player. You know. Um, one of the players of the season easily. I think if Mitrovic didn't have, uh, you know, didn't score like three every game, <laughs> Johnson would probably be in for a shout of player of the season. Um, yeah, I think Colwell will have his wits tested, but you know, you got, you know, that's what he's here for, and he's he's got, you know, if he wants to play for Chelsea, which by the sounds of it, you know, he, he thinks he can make it into the first team eventually, he's going to have to test himself against the best. Um, I think Toffolo, as amazing as he has been. Offensively, you know, what's it like five and eight goals he scored, which is pretty good for a left back. It'd be pretty good for a forward as well. Um, Toffolo will have to support him as well because, you know, as great as Harry is going forward um, and he can defend, you know, he'll have his, um, he'll be tested in that game as well. And like you say, Spence and Johnson has been a frightening combination for opposition sides all season. So, yeah, they'll have their work cut out for sure. Rich, is there a temptation to put Brennan? sort of playing in the opposite channel against Tom Lees, which you would think naturally might give him a little bit more joy? Or is it so crucial to that Spence-Johnson partnership that he stays down that side? Um, It's something that has been done on occasion. But yeah, I would stick with the way that, because like you say, Spence and Johnson have got a partnership that works really well. They've got, they they have an understanding of where each other's going to be. They support each other. They go, you know, can play balls around the corner to each other. They, when one of them cuts in, the other one goes outside and so on and so forth. Um, so in that sense, I, I, I wouldn't change it. Um, and yeah, Brady made a really good point, which is that in Colwell and Toffolo, you know, two, two of the better players in their position in the, in the entire division. So it's going to be a tough one. I mean, the other thing is that, of course, um, that Brennan is, he's a classic sort of, uh, you know, flair number 10, I suppose, in the sense that he can disappear for a bit and it, you feel like you're like, where's he gone? Uh, but then he'll pop up. And, you know, the the first half against Sheffield United was, was, was a great example there because he, he, and actually the second leg, the, the, sorry, the second half of the first leg where he scored that goal, he hadn't really done much in that, in that half. And then he had a finish, which was cool as ice, which ultimately was probably what saw us through over the uh what's it it's not 180 minutes it's uh, 210 minutes um of the of the tie yeah absolutely the the playoffs put you, you on the spot there with some quick maths um, i think <laughs> the center of the part is going to be pretty interesting as well lewis o'brien for me i i think he's probably the best midfielder in the championship right now in terms of central midfield i know james garner and ryan yates too, will, will push him right the way but I think it's interesting between O'Brien and, and Garner in particular about who can get on the ball early doors, who can sort of, they are the two more creative passers in those midfield pairings. Hogg's obviously more of a destroyer. Or Russell, it'll probably be actually with Hogg deeper. Yates, lots of good qualities, but probably his his industry off, off the ball is as good as his ability on it. Um, and Garner and O'Brien will be the ones tasked with really trying to unpick the the, the lot from deeper positions. Brady, how, how good has Lewis O'Brien been and how crucial... Is he just at Huddersfield's performance in every game? He's been fantastic and um, he's crucial to us getting anything from this game as he has been for you know most of the big games this season. Look, he's a Premier League player for me now. He's really shown. Um, he just seems to, you know, I think he gets overlooked. Um, I know you've said he's probably like the midfielder in the Championship, but I think he gets overlooked because he doesn't get the goals and assists. Um, you know, and he, he's admitted himself that he... Uh, you know, needs to work on that. But um, I think what makes O'Brien so great is, um, you know, he he just he, the fitness that that lad has that he could run. You know, if it it could be uh, four hours of football, and I imagine O'Brien could still still be running at the end of it. He's just incredible, and it's just it's so strange because sometimes it feels like he's running in a straight line, but he can just get through like three or four players and then still have the ball and, and, and pop it off. You know, um, he's just been so crucial. I think particularly. Huddersfield have been really good on the counter, especially when under the cosh. And I think um, we saw we saw against Luton on on Monday when we the game opened up and we did get that joy. They just started fouling him because he he's so key. And you know I think um, if you start he's been you know kicked everywhere, just gets up you know gets on with it. Um, 
yeah, he'll he'll be really key to it. I think Russell as well. Um, you know, Russell is the calmest midfielder uh, I think we have in the team. Uh, and it, you know, as someone who likes to get stressed watching the football, you know, he hangs onto the ball a little bit too long, but because he's tall and gangly, he still somehow gets it off. Um, I think he'll. We've seen him uh, not tracking tracking back at times, you know, and especially going against Yates and Garner, who have been incredible this season. Um, I think that'll be a test. But then Russell, we saw against Luton in the, the league game at home earlier in the season, he can just score something out of nothing. And, you know, um, yeah, I think it'll be a really, like you say, the midfield battle's key and I think it'll be really interesting. But yeah, for sure, Lewis is um, going to be absolutely crucial if we're going to get any joy from this game. George, do you do you see that as a key area of the pitch in which will ultimately have a, a huge say on, on where this game goes? Oh, without a doubt. Without any shadow of a doubt. I mean, both sides have got really good technical midfielders in there. And obviously, Huddersfield have got a player that's able to break things up as well. And Jonathan Hogg, who will do the nasty side of things. And I just think it's going to be a really key area. There's so many key individual battles throughout this game. But I think central midfield, as you've said there, is, is certainly one that's going to be Certainly decisive, I think. Obviously, James Garner's been terrific. And you know, Elliot, how much I've raved about him this season. He's been one of my players that I've enjoyed watching most. I just think he's such a well-rounded footballer. Obviously, he's such a threat from set pieces. Uh, and Ryan Yates obviously chipped him with goals now and again. Lewis O'Brien's dictated nearly everything that Huddersfield have done. John Russell's been terrific. And just a word on John Russell, it's remarkable, isn't it? That he was signed for the B team originally and he's enjoyed a season like this. And now he could had a promotion to the CV within a few months of his arrival. So it's certainly going to be an interesting battle. But obviously, I just think Forrest might just have that edge in the midfield. I think Garner obviously being such a bit of a wizard with the ball and his set pieces as well could be so important. But at the same time, Huddersfield have got a set piece merchant in, in Sorba Thomas. So there are a lot of similarities in these two teams in terms of position for position. So I think it's going to be really interesting. But midfield could potentially where where this game is won or lost. Yeah, I'd just like to add to that that um the dynamic in the forest midfield is slightly different and and you know do correct me if I'm wrong here but um with Garner and Yates in the center of the park what they've got is a as a combination so they cover for each other so they can both play as a 6 or an 8 and so if one's kind of making moves the other one will tuck in to to to, to cover. So that's for the first thing is that they are a partnership. And, and Jimmy Garner probably had his worst match I've seen him play for for months in the second leg against Sheffield United. And you could tell. So we were getting overrun. We, the midfield was was non-existent for Forrest because Yates, he was trying his hardest. But Garner, I don't know if it's fatigue, if he was injured or whatever, but he just wasn't doing it. And even his set pieces, he barely beat the first man all night. And, and actually, even before... Garner was substituted. Lolly got put on the uh, got put on the corners and the free kicks. The other thing is that there's a slight formational difference, isn't there? So Huddersfield, broadly speaking, play a three four three, and Forest play a three four one two. So Zinkenogel plays in a number ten role behind the forwards, and he can he occasionally I wouldn't say he drops in, but what we've seen is he's really added a new physical dimension dimension to his game over the season, where he is fighting back and tackling back. And so therefore can almost drop in as an extra man in midfield um, while also offering a, a level of creative outlet um, that, that maybe Yates and Garner, if they're both in the sixth position, don't have to worry about. Yeah, that'll be interesting. I think that comes down a lot to how high Huddersfield will press as to how potentially deep um, those two those two midfielders are in that, in that double pivot. Probably the one sort of battle we've not touched on is going to be in the dugout as well, which will be really interesting. Obviously, Corbran against Cooper... I think we've all we've already said this on the pod, but you can imagine how Huddersfield's game plan might be sit a little bit deeper, classic away sort of blueprint that they've used at Middlesbrough and, and those other games that we've spoken about already. And uh, Brady, I think you've already said it, or it might be Rich and when you were told together. But the longer this game goes on at nil nil, the better it seems, Brady, that it, it will be for Huddersfield. You would fancy them; they'll be the happier of the two teams if they can keep it at nil nil for for seventy minutes, and then they've got whether it's Thomas or Sinani, whichever one they bring on, for example, to, to inject that a little bit, maybe a moment of magic to win the game. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, as I've kind of touched on, I think we're kind of a hard team to, to beat and, you know, the forest can blow us away. And, I, I you know, as uh, as pessimistic as this probably sounds, this could be a game where forest blow us away, but also it could be a game where, um, you know, it does go to 70 minutes and, it, you know, the nerves kick in. I, I think, you know, 
we don't deal with being the favourites well. Um, I think, you know, George touched on it. We're actually probably coming into this game as, as the un- slight underdogs in this, despite finishing above them in the league. Look, that suits us fine. I think, you know, when the pressure is on us to get the result done, um, as we saw against Luton on, on Monday night, we, we, you know, we struggled. I think that was part of it, as good as Luton, where we, we struggled being the favourites. So, look, it suits us fine. I think, um, <laughs> weirdly, uh, you know, Rich talked about it. He's not used to it, but I think a lot of, Neutrals want Forest to win. You know, obviously they were a big team. You know, they are a big team. They haven't been in the Premier League for some time, um, so I think it makes sense. But yeah, the the longer this goes on for us, I would feel confident. I think um, you know, again, maybe this is just me being hopeful. But um, the real one, uh, I've been saying it all season, so maybe I just want the prediction to come true. But um, Tino Anderin, he joined us on loan uh, in January from Chelsea. We spoke, to, you know, obviously we've had Colwell, we've had Travis Alaba, we've had a lot of good Chelsea loanees. He's not quite done it yet because he arrived to us injured. But, um, you know, when I spoke to the kind of uh, a fan site who covered the Chelsea Loan Academy, you know, all 5,000 loan players that they've got, they said Tino Andrin is the best academy player they've ever produced. Um, which is, you know, and given how well... That's some statement, played, that isn't it? That is some statement. And we've not, we've not seen it. And I just think because he's played so little... Um, you can tell there's something there, and I wonder if he's maybe the secret weapon, you know, because he's, um, you know, I, he burst through against Bristol City and nearly scored, and I, I just wonder it. It's always the game where there's, I think there's someone out of nowhere who can do something different, and maybe that's the the positive um, for me because you know he's played Europa League football um, when he was on loan at Moscow early in the season, and they have really high hopes for him, um, so maybe. But you know, uh, Rich reminded me, Joe Lolly's there. That'd be very Huddersfield if Joe Lolly scores the winner <laughs> against against. Huddersfield. I would I'd also say that Lolly's not going to hit another penalty as bad as he did against Sheffield United, which was was harking back to Chris Waddle in nineteen ninety, wasn't it? Yeah, it's a, it certainly was. I think we all expect Forrest to really come flying out. I, I think we all expect the, the the sort of the noise that will be behind that end as well. How important is it that they a start well and, and try and get that early goal, Rich? Well, if we get an early goal, then you would hope that Forrest can score more than one. And um, the other thing that's worth noting is that Forrest, when they when they have lost under Cooper, I don't apart from the Middlesbrough match on Boxing Day, um, and that was, and then that there's two. That's the only time they've lost two in a row under Cooper when Middlesbrough and then Huddersfield at home. But the Middlesbrough match, I think, is the only one where we've lost it by more than the odd goal. Um, I'm going off memory there. So that's a sign that Forrest are pretty resilient in a lot of ways. And we've also never played badly for 90 minutes under Cooper. So even in matches where you think we're dead and buried, actually we will keep going until the final whistle. So I think it will be, uh, there will be an element of attrition in there from, from both teams. And just as an example there, against Bournemouth, you know, Bournemouth were going for automatic promotion. We were trying to pip them to it. And Bournemouth turned up the wick in the second half. They made a tactical substitution. You could tell the experience of their players. They scored a late goal down to our defensive mistake. And even then, Brees Samba, of all people, almost equalised with the very last kick of the very last kick of the game. So so there's a, there's, there's a, a bit of a never-say-die kind of spirit at the city ground. And even when we were losing against Sheffield United, and yet... And Jai had that chance on 115 minutes. There was still that thing of like, we can do this, we can do this. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's gonna it's gonna be so tight and tense. It's gonna be if if there's more than a goal in it, I would be absolutely shocked. I don't see this being uh like the Brentford Swansea game last year, for example, where Brentford just came flying out two 0 up after 20 minutes. For example, I just don't see it, it playing out like that. I think it will be cagey at times, but I think there there will be quality on show uh, in in big moments. It wouldn't be a, a playoff preview pod if I didn't put us all on the spot, uh, and I include myself in that. George, we'll kick off with you. What's your prediction for this game? Well, as I've said, it's going to be it's going to be tight, it's going to be tense, but I just think I just think in the way things have gone in the last few weeks, I'm going to have to fancy Forest. I think you back to us to go up at the start of the playoffs. I know I did. I know, and I'm having to change. And it's quite weird because when you think about it, Forest have only won one of their last four games, which is weird. Entering this, obviously Huddersfield have been on this really long and beaten run and been playing really well. But I just think, I just think Forest on the day have got the better individuals that could potentially hurt Huddersfield. So I think Forest will win, but I do think it will go 
all the way to penalties. I'm going to go for a 1-1 draw at the end of 120 minutes and Forrest to do it on penalties. I do think he's going to go right down to the wire. Isn't it funny how the, the mind works where George back Huddersfield before the playoffs, Forrest then lost to Sheffield United and he's then gone to Forrest. That's, <laughs> that's funny how it works. Oh, Brady, yeah, I could do that. Brady, you feel a little bit more confident? Surely you've got about your own team. Yeah, you'd say so. Um, <laughs> I, uh, look, I think Forrest are the team I didn't want in the playoffs. I think uh, George is right as much as I, um, you know, would wish he was wrong. I think Forrest have got the better individual players than us. Um, but, you know, again, part of our, the story of our season is we, you can't write us off. People have tried to write us off, say we'll drop off. So, um, look, I'm going to have to be optimistic. I, I agree with George. I think it's going to go all the way to penalties. Um and I think it'll be, yeah, why not? We've done it. The only thing that's stopping me is um, we've had a lot of luck in playoff finals. And you know what they say about luck, it has to come to an end sometime soon. So I'm hoping it's not not this game. So yeah, I'm going to go Huddersfield to win on penalties. And do you know what? It'll probably be really undeserved because that's, uh, I, I imagine it'll be one of them where we hang on, but somehow get over the line because that's kind of been the story of our season. So yeah, Huddersfield to win on penalties. If that happens, are you going to rename the podcast with whatever decent commentary goes with it? Well, yeah, it depends if it's any good. I mean, the amount of times I've had to explain what what is Andy takes that chance, like every time I come on to something. So, yeah, let's... Really? Um, yeah, 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 really. Um, and they're like, oh, I don't get it. And it's like, oh, Christian was penalty, blah, blah, blah. So, um, yeah, let, let's hope, you know, let's hope like Peter Drury's on comms and he'll like get one of those poems and stick <laughs> <laughs> Whenever when you mention Peter Drury, I just get the the Costas Monolas header in. Uh, oh yeah, Barcelona. the Greek that's, yeah. the, the, that's the one yeah. that immediately springs to mind. Rich, what what are you going for? Well, I do need to give a shout out to the other teams in Nottinghamshire. So Mansfield are going to be in the playoff final on Saturday. Notts County are playing their playoff semi finals for the National League. I'll, I'll be there tomorrow. In fact, covering for for Grimsby. So oh, there you go. Then so, that. Um, should be a good game. So my my main prediction is that productivity in the East Midlands will hit an all time low over the next few days. Um, I predict that my Apple Watch will explode because my heart rate will go up. Um, in all seriousness, of course I'm nervous, but on the other hand, Forrest have got nothing to lose. So with that in mind, I'm going in with a quiet confidence. I think it'll be an odd goal or it'll be penalties. And if it, if it gets to a penalty shootout, especially after the other night, this is possibly misplaced, but I didn't think any players were going to miss. And even when Lolly stepped up and I thought, he's the most, I, I really want him to score and he's the one who's most likely to miss. But I don't know who's going to take number five. But it's like they would have scored. Every single player stepped up. There's just that kind of resolve amongst the team. So if it goes to pens, I'm I'm quietly confident. But equally, as I say, there's there's going to be a lot of people who's who's you know is who who just might not make it through the day. I really hope your Apple Watch isn't one of those that automatically calls the emergency services if it like hits a a peak number or anything like that. I tell you what, it's going to... yeah, there's going to be paramedics all over the forest end, aren't there? Yeah, absolutely. I, f- I think that it might be not needed after what's going to happen. I- I'm going to go, f- I think it might be nil-nil in full time, but I think I'm going to go for a 1-0 Forest win in extra time. I, f- I just think maybe with the way it might play out with, with Huddersfield, I could see if they get to nil-nil, if- I could see them just dropping a little bit deeper and deeper. And, and although they'll have the players on the counter-attack to try and springboard, and that's really worked for them, I've just got visions of, Brennan Johnson popping up in 115 minute at the back post to, to turn one in down that right channel. Um, so I'm going to go for a 1-0 win after extra time, uh, 0-0 in full time. But my God, it's going to be a, a dramatic afternoon. I'm already feeling a little bit nervous for it. It's a week away and we've got no skin in the game. And I know George feels the absolute same. So this has been fantastic. Thank you so much to, to Rich and Brady for joining us. Make sure you go and check out their podcasts for the, all the build-up this week that's coming and obviously their reaction uh, to whatever the result is on uh, is on Sunday. And obviously, best of luck, chaps. Thank you for joining us on this week's pod. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for having us, lads. Um, yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> no worries. And, and that marks the end of, of this week's Championship Chat podcast. If you do enjoy the pod, please make sure you subscribe in your usual podcast app and make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. You can support this podcast as well with our Ko-Fi page, contributing the cost of a cup of coffee towards our monthly overheads on a one-off basis. The link to donate is in the podcast description if you do feel so inclined. 
Have a great week and we'll catch you next Monday for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.